This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We want to start with, uh, I guess you could say, a little bit of review, just to make sure... Because we, you know, we had last week off, and I think the week we met the week before that, but maybe it was the week before that that we also had a week off because we had a missionary, Brother Privet, was here presenting his ministry, and so uh, uh, maybe just a little bit of review is in order. A few lessons ago, or, or three or four weeks ago, we talked about a physiology of post-traumatic stress, and we made the point. And I think it was important to make, especially because we'd come off talking about all the problems with secular psychology and uh, everything that's messed up with with secular psychology and secular psychiatry. And uh, we asked the question, you know, should we consider post-traumatic stress a disorder? Is that the right label? Is that helpful? And we talked all about that. And uh, we raised a number of concerns, I think very legitimate concerns, about uh, the the methods and and ways of secular psychology and a lot of the issues and problems there uh, and how they want to call everything in the world a disorder. Uh, By the way, wow, I saw an interesting, I'm taking a course, sorry, hope I don't forget, I'm going to lose my train of thought, but uh, taking a course this semester through Bob Jones Seminary and... uh, um, we watched, as part of our course, we had to watch a video that was just absolutely eye-opening on um, ADD and ADHD and just the whole history of that and how, uh, and, and the drug companies, and, and I'm a, it's a strong term, but the conspiracy, you know, to give our kids drugs and, uh, and there's, there's so many side effects and it's just... It was, a, it was a, uh, a very, I mean, I, I was already aware of the issue of the problem, but this was an eye-opening video that we watched. If that's an issue that's of concern to you or of special interest to you, uh, let me know after class, and I can, uh, I'm pretty sure the video is available on YouTube. You could watch it, um, and uh, I could try to, I'll figure out the name, and, and I could point you to it. But anyway, um, so, so we were talking about all of that kind of stuff, and, and, and so the secular world, they want to name everything. Everything's a disorder uh, in their view. Of course, they deny any spiritual you know, causes to, any th- to, to anything. They want to say that everything's a disease. So we looked at all that, and uh, rightly so. But then it was important, coming off the heels of those couple lessons, for us to reiterate that for those who genuinely struggle with post-traumatic stress, it is real. Uh, there, are, there are those who, for various reasons, would exaggerate their symptoms and whatever, but uh, some people genuinely struggle. Uh, and many of us, we, we made the point right off the bat, many of us can relate because kind of on a small scale, we can relate to these kind of issues with unwanted thoughts and, and dreams and and even certain, you know, certain panic attacks or whatever. We, you know, many of us can relate to that. Um, and there are, just realize I don't have my notes in front of me. Uh, there are real physiological 
there's biochemical stuff going on in our bodies when we get stressed out, when we are traumatized. So again, this is a real issue. You know, we, there's, you know, with our stress hormones and the various synapses, you know, in, in our brain and, and the connections going on there uh, and, and cortisol levels and, and uh, whatever, that there's a, it's real. Uh, when, when we are traumatized or exposed to extreme stress. But, and so it was good that we made that point, but we want to remember what we said from day one that much of this has to do also with how we interpret our circumstances. And oftentimes that's what, that's what makes the difference. And uh, we've seen folks in Scripture, we see, you know, those in Scripture who were traumatized, you know, David, uh, you know, fought in many battles, he was hunted by Saul, you know, Joseph in the Old Testament was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers, separated from his family, thrown into prison, you know, for years, uh, and yet, not that they didn't have problems or anxieties like we all do, but they were not ultimately defeated. Uh, by their circumstances because of their, their hope in God. And uh, so anyway, we made all those points. Again, I'm just reviewing here. Um, and, and by the way, this is, especially tonight, this is such a small group, you know, just jump right in. No, don't, uh, I don't want to be, I don't need to be the only one talking. If you have a question or comment, just jump in. But uh, one other point, again, just by way of review that I want to mention again, lest anyone... You know, there, there's so much to cover here, and I'm, I feel sometimes like I'm talking so fast, and I don't really, sometimes certain things that I say maybe need to be qualified, and I don't always take the time to do that. But we talked about depression a few weeks ago, and I do want to make the point again. We, we made this point, but I want to reiterate it, just lest anyone misunderstand or feel put off or bad, um, you know, Depression can result, it doesn't, it's not always sinful. Uh, I would guess, I have no way of knowing this or, or pro, well, proving this, but I would guess that in many cases, probably the majority of cases, you know, sin has something to do with it. I know that was the case in my life when I struggled, at least the one big time that I struggled with depression, it was, uh, you know, the result of my, you know, anger and anxieties about some situations uh, in my life that I couldn't fix, and all of that led to obsessive thinking, and, and anyway, you kind of spiral down from there. But there are folks who struggle and it's with depression, and it's sometimes just physiological. It has to do with hormone levels, thyroid um, issues, diet can even play a role, especially with some people. Um, again, we saw an interesting video on this as part of the class that I took. Very interesting. Um, a lot of medical stuff that was, that was kind of fascinating. But uh, remember, too, that, you know, someone like the Apostle Paul, in Romans 9, it says that he had unceasing anguish in his heart. Now, whether or not he was depressed, you know, the Bible doesn't really use the word depression. It talks about despair. I mean, it talks about it. It doesn't use that word. Uh, more frequently, it uses the word despair. 
But Paul said he had unceasing anguish in his heart as he considered, do you remember? As he considered his brethren, his Jewish brethren who were lost, who didn't know the Lord. And he was such a loving person. He was so close to the Lord that this caused him unceasing anguish. And uh, obviously, I, you know, I, we wouldn't say that that's sinful. Uh, that, was, that was commendable on his part, uh, his concern. And so uh, I can see where Christians, good believers, can struggle with low feelings as maybe they grieve or mourn in their hearts for a loved one, a family member who's away from the Lord. And so we understand that. And I just want to make that point. Uh, we can sorrow. It's, it's, it's biblical to, to mourn, to sorrow, to grieve. Of course, we don't sorrow like those who have no hope. Ultimately, we have hope in Jesus Christ. And we can even have joy. You know, Paul was joyful at the same time that he had unceasing anguish in his heart. Uh, he, and even while he was in prison, in, I uh, think of the book of Philippians, where uh, he also talks about the great joy that he had, you know, through Christ. So, anyway, that, some of that's just, uh, that's just review. Uh, the last time we met, uh, well, no, two times ago, we talked about the solution to PTSD, kind of an ambitious title, maybe, to that lesson. But, of course, uh, uh, we have a big God that we serve who says, does anybody know what verse I'm going to cite? It's uh, one that I've cited just about every time that we've met. <laughs> I like to go back to this one. Yeah, 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1. Actually, and before I read that, can, can I get somebody to read Psalm 119, 165 real quick? And then somebody else to read. Brother Jason, you're looking up Psalm 119, 165. And uh, Madge, you got your phone. You got your Bible up on the phone there? Isaiah, or are you surfing the web? No, I'm just teasing you there. I saw her. She had her phone out. And I, I could, Isaiah 26.3. Can you read Isaiah 26.3? And then I'm going to go to 2 Peter. Brother Jason, go ahead and read that for us. 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Thank you. Nothing shall offend them or cause them to stumble if we love God's word. If we remain focused on the word of God, Nothing will ultimately cause us to stumble, uh, ultimately, in the ultimate sense. Uh, we can have peace through the Word of God. Praise God for that. Madge, we have a similar verse here, Isaiah 26, 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusted in thee. Thank you. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. On God. That's a promise from God. Uh, we struggle though, don't we? All of us to keep our minds perfectly focused on Him. But that's why the more time we spend in His Word, the easier, the more we saturate our minds with Scripture, 
the easier it becomes to continually meditate uh, on his word. And that kind of leads to this next verse that I'm going to share. This is the one that, uh, you know, I've shared just about every week. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We can be equipped for life and godliness. We can have all things that we can live the victorious Christian life. How? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. We can have grace and peace. God's supernatural grace and peace. As we know him better through his word. And so that's what we've been focusing on. That's what we started to focus on last time. We're going to continue these next two weeks. Last time we talked again two weeks ago. Because we had the evangelist here last time. Last, uh, last class we talked about the sovereignty of God. Remember that? Knowing our sovereign God. Our God who controls all things. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, and I shared just a little bit, I think, uh, of my testimony last time, this doctrine has been so comforting for me to, to really know to the point where it, it sinks in to your, not just your brain, but down to your heart, to really know that God is in control of everything. Um, such a comfort, such a comfort. Um, so we talked about that last time. Next time, our final week, we're going to talk about knowing our all-wise God. We're going to talk about the wisdom of God and specifically His purposes in trials. Everything that He wants to accomplish through our difficult times. And so uh, that'll be next week. Tonight we're going to talk about our loving God. Knowing our loving God. And that's the handout that you received. And I'm kind of like last time. I'm not going to go through the handout so much tonight, line by line. Um, but we're going to talk about some of the things that are, that are in there. And if you want to, you can take it home and, and read the whole thing. Um, Knowing our loving God. This, the fact that when we can grasp that our God, I mean, I don't know if we can ever fully grasp until we get to heaven. We can't fully comprehend his, his love for us. But uh, if we can begin to comprehend it, uh, there's, there's great comfort there. And... Uh, and so again, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And this is part, by the way, I meant to say this. Let me just back up. What we're talking about here is, is part of a biblical theology of suffering, I would call it, which is so important. So important for us because all, we all face trials, right, in this, in this life. We all face difficulties, things that are traumatic. We're talking about post-traumatic stress things that really stress us out, and uh, we're all, we all suffer. And it's so helpful going in, kind of as preparation, um, and even, I think, for our children, you know, for them, because 
in many cases, thank God, in many of our homes, you know, our, our children don't suffer so much. Uh, some children do, uh, sadly, and certainly in the, in the world. But in many of our homes, our kids, because they're born and raised into Christian homes, many of them don't suffer terribly. Uh, maybe until they get older and then they get married. Then they got to put up with a wife, you know, and all, you got all kind of trouble, you know, and kids and then all the trouble that comes with that. Um, you know, for me, I didn't praise, I didn't think I had a, a bad day in my life until I was 30 years old. And then the Lord dropped the hammer on me and, uh, and chastened me and turned me around and, and praise God for that. But, uh, but anyway... I wish I had had going into my big ordeal that the Lord put me through. I wish I had a theology of suffering in place. I would have been helped. Later, several years later, once I had that theology in place, it, wow, what a blessing, what a difference. You know, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I think maybe I mentioned this last time, and even before I knew that my prognosis was good, you know, it's when I was still in those early weeks when, you know, we weren't sure, you know, how serious it was or if I was going to die. Um, I'll tell you, I had perfect peace. I was not anxious at all. Um, I praise God for that. But several years before that, wow, uh, I wasn't ready. I didn't have a theology of suffering uh, in place. So important, even for our kids. Uh, before they run into big trials in life, to understand what the Bible says about suffering. And um, we, we can't cover all this tonight. We're going to focus on the love of God and His compassion, His, his understanding in suffering. But uh, our kids, you know, we, we need to know, Christians need to know first that God promises suffering and if you're looking in, on your handout for this, it's not there. So, you, uh, again, I'm not going to follow that uh, tonight, but uh, uh, so much, just loosely. But God promises suffering, right? Didn't Jesus say, in this world ye shall have tribulation? And, uh, I mean, we see this all through the Bible. You know, J didn't Job, in the book of Job, talks about how, you know, man is born unto trouble, as the sparks fly upward. Um, I, I remember Paul in the book of Acts talking about it's how, I'm paraphrasing, how it's through much tribulation that we're going to have to enter the kingdom of God. We're all going to have to suffer. Uh, we're not exempt as Christians. And that's, that's important to know because some, some Christians start off with a faulty theology thinking that, hey, because I'm saved, because I'm a child of God, I'm, I'm immune from some of the worst trials in life. And then when, when tragedy strikes, they're not only having to deal with the, the tragedy itself, but with their understanding of God. And they feel like God somehow betrayed them. Or am I even a Christian? And you add a whole bunch of problems to that. I think of one example here, Captain Matt Meyer was an uh, army captain, served, um, this is going back several years, 10, 15 years ago, uh, served in Afghanistan. And uh, it's from the sound of it, as I read this account about Captain Matt Meyer, it sounds like he was kind of a nominal Christian. Uh, 
you know, whether he was truly saved or not, I don't really know, but he professed to be a Christian, uh, although, again, maybe not a strong one. But he did know of a young man in his unit named Jason Hovatar, who was a strong Christian. And uh, this young guy, Jason, strong Christian, he was very outspoken about his faith in Jesus Christ and incur always encouraging his fellow soldiers, making them laugh. He was, he was just a great young man to be around. But uh, this young man, this, this born-again believer, was killed. Um, and this captain, who also professed to be a Christian, saw this. And it was traumatic for him. He must have been, I didn't get the details of it, but he witnessed this, uh, uh, this soldier's death. And maybe it, it was apparently, you know, it was traumatic. It was, it was gruesome. But anyway, more, more so than that, uh, more so than the, what he saw, his faith was shaken. Um, and I'm just going to read from this just to save time. Let me just read from this. It says, Matt Meyer, this is the captain, he saw the foundations of his belief in God and in Christianity shaken to the core after the horrors of Wanat. That was the battle. That was the place where they fought. He had been raised with the faith that Jesus died for everyone's sins and believing in him was an avenue to paradise. There was a contract with God which held that a good person doing good deeds would see blessing and favor. Okay, so we read that and we, you know, again, we wonder whether this captain was truly saved. But this was his understanding. But he knew that Jason Hovatar lived this kind of life, very faithful. And so Meyer, the captain, could not forget the image of that young soldier's destruction. Um, he, was, he just wrestled with, you know, how could this happen? I thought God promised to protect guys like him uh, who were faithful. And so this captain struggled with his own faith uh, and with his own, well, I should say, his own understanding of God. And uh, the, the person who's writing this article goes, goes on to comment that when one's core or deeply held beliefs come into conflict with perceived reality, a conflicting reality, we can all see how that causes great distress to, uh, to a person's soul. Um, and so, moral of the story is, hey, we need to understand, and this captain would have been helped if he... And again, maybe he wasn't even a believer, but the Bible says that Christians aren't exempt from pain and suffering. We need to understand that. Uh, beyond that, we need to understand that God understands our suffering. And we're going to be talking about that tonight. That He controls our suffering. We talked about that last time. That God uses our suffering. Uh, and we're going to talk about that next time. You know, all the wonderful things that God wants to do through our trials. Uh, again, that's next week. And in the end, God rewards our suffering as well. When we have that theology of suffering in place, um, it, it's, it's very helpful. I wrote a, for a class I uh, took last semester, I actually wrote about a 25-page paper on this. If anybody wants to, you know, if you're having trouble sleeping at night and you'd like to read it, it, it talks about these things that I just mentioned, how God, it's basically a, a biblical theology of suffering. And those points that I made, if you're interested, I'll, I'll give you a copy. And maybe it'll help you go to sleep at night. 
But, uh, but anyway, so important to have that understanding in place. And uh, again, we talked a little bit about that last time. We'll, pour, we'll talk more next time. Tonight, let's talk about God's love. And let's start by asking this question. Can God understand my suffering? Some, some folks would ask this question. Probably many, many have. Many who have been traumatized, who are struggling. Believers, some of them uh, true believers in Jesus Christ, tempted to say, has God abandoned me? Does he understand? Can he understand? Can he relate? I mean, he's God. He's God. So he's never suffered, right? So how could he relate to my pain and agony? How would we respond to that? Jesus. Well, Jesus suffered. Jesus, we would conclude... God became man. Yeah, exactly right. God became man. He can relate, can he not? We would, we would have to conclude that Jesus suffered more than any other human who's ever lived, right? I mean, he was, the scripture tells us, not only did he endure during his lifetime temptation and privation, uh, betrayal, uh, pain, you know, the abuse on the cross, the physical torture. But more than that, he bore the sins of humanity. We can't really understand that so well. I mean, how, we can all relate. You ever feel like really, really guilty, rotten? Can you think back to a time in your life that you're ashamed of, that you wouldn't want to share with anyone here? And you did something that was extremely wrong. Can you remember the shame? Uh, the, the, just the, and Jesus bore our shame uh, times trillions. You know, however many people have lived throughout history and will live, uh, he bore all of our sin in his body on the tree, the scripture tells us. The darkness, the shame of sin, and then beyond that, he he experienced the wrath of God, the wrath, the the infinite and eternal wrath of God was poured out on Christ because he was made sin for us. Second Corinthians five twenty one says. So does Jesus understand suffering? Yes, he does. He can relate. The scripture says in Isaiah 53, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. I even think in the garden, you know, I remember how he even at the anticipation of what he was about to endure, sweat drops of blood. Jesus understands our pain. Okay, so you might argue maybe a comeback from someone who still you know, is frustrated with God, is, is bitter in there. I, I shouldn't say bitter, um, because we've maybe all been there where we're really struggling, and uh, we're saying, God, why? You know, what's going on? Um, 
someone might argue, okay, he understands, he's been there himself, but does he care about my pain? Does God care about my pain? What does the Bible say? Anybody think of any verses or anything that pops into your mind? Does God care about your pain? About mine, my suffering? We saw that he wept. Uh, John 11.35 at the tomb of Lazarus as he saw I think, uh, you know, I guess commentators debate why Jesus wept, but I think part of it was, you know, he was, his, his, his friends, Mary and Martha were there. They were weeping for his brother. Jesus was touched in his heart, in his humanity. Uh, the Bible says he had compassion on the masses that came to him with their sick, their diseased, and he healed many of them because he had compassion on them. Um... Remember, the scripture says in Hebrews 4.15 that Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are. And he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Not only does he know about them, but he's touched. His heart is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He understands those who are crying in pain because, the Bible says in Hebrews 5.7, he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, that's his father, that was able to save him from death. Jesus understands and he cares. There's other, there's other scripture passages we could reference. What about the Old Testament passage? Uh, what about Psalm 56, 8, which talks about how God collects our tears in his bottle? Do you remember that one? Again, a picture of his loving concern for us. Uh, we see all through scripture how God hears the cries and is concerned about the cries of his people. I think of uh, Exodus 2 and uh, Exodus 2, 23 through 25, where it talks about, you know, the children of Israel, Israel miserable, you know, in bondage there in Egypt, crying out. You know, over a period of many years, but God heard them. The Bible says that he had respect unto them. In other words, he noticed, he, he heard, he, he saw their misery, and uh, we know that he responded. Um, Genesis 16, verses 7 through 14, God even heard the cries of an Egyptian slave girl. Remember Hagar? God even heard her cries. And God hears our cries as well. And he, again, I, I love that verse where, you know, he collects our tears in his bottle. He cares. And so you might say, okay, well, he understands, God understands, he sympathizes, but does he do anything about it? Is he, is God committed to doing anything about my pain? How does he respond? Will he respond? What do you think? Well, what about what does Scripture teach us? Does God respond to the cries of his people? He absolutely does. Now, this doesn't mean that he always takes the pain away or that he'll always, you know, uh, shorten the, the duration of our trial or, or lessen its uh, intensity. Not in every case. Sometimes he does. 
Um, but he always promises grace and help. He always responds. Um, I think, you know, I mentioned the, uh, the Israelites a few minutes ago. Uh, God, let's look at, let's look at Exodus 6.6. 6. I like this verse. I was looking at it this afternoon. Exodus 6.6. 6. Guys are probably there before I am here. All right. This is God speaking to Moses. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. God, and, and, we, and we could keep reading, but, uh, and we know that God did that. He rescued his people from Egypt. He granted the petition of Hannah uh, as she begged for a son. Do you remember? He heard her cries and, and he acted. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 1. What about Hezekiah? Do you remember how God responded to his desperate plea for help when Judah was being threatened by her enemies in 2 Kings 19? What did God do? Do you remember that story? How he sent his angel and slew, I think it was 185,000 uh, of the enemy overnight. And what about, uh, again, the question is, does God respond when his children are crying out in pain? Let's turn to Psalm 18. I love this. This is uh, an encouraging psalm. Here we really get a picture of God's care and concern for his children who are in trouble. This might be a one that might be a psalm that you want to reference. So many of the psalms are helpful when we are going through trying times. But uh, again, in answer to the question, does God care? Does he respond? Does he hear me when I'm in pain? I, I love Psalm 18. Uh, we don't have time to read all of it. But look at verse 6. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of His temple. And my cry came before Him, even into His ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken. Because He was wroth. God, God was angry. One of His children was in trouble. And this stirred and moved God to action. There went up smoke out of his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down. Verse 10, And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, did he fly upon the wings of the wind. Let me skip down to verse 16. He sent, this is God, God sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me. Skip down to the middle of verse 19. 
He delivered me because he delighted in me. God delights in all of his children. And he hears our cry and he comes to our rescue. And again, he doesn't always... God knows what he's doing and we're going to talk in a minute about he's always working for what's good for us. And so because trials and adversity tend to be good for us because it draws us near to him, he doesn't always pull us out of the fire immediately. Um, but in his timing, certainly God responds. He's always with us and his grace uh, is always available. But uh, I, lo I love that psalm, Psalm 18. Any thoughts, questions? Let me pause here before we continue. Let me, uh, let me sum this up. Not that we're done. We still have 10 minutes. But uh, let me sum up the last 10 minutes, Brother Gene. <laughs> Our God, who delights in his children, understands their pain and responds when they suffer. And even when he does not remove their painful circumstances, God promises his presence and grace. We see that in Psalm 46, Isaiah 41, uh, 2 Corinthians 9. How about uh, Isaiah 43, 2, which says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. God says to his people. Or how about 2 Corinthians 12.9. My grace is sufficient for thee. He told the Apostle Paul. Regarding his thorn in the flesh. God comforts all who look to him in their distress. He knows their frame. He remembers they are dust. Psalm 103.14. Scripture even says that he keeps their tears in his bottle. We've mentioned that. Psalm 56.8. For just as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Psalm 103.13 Therefore, suffering Christians can cast their burdens on the Lord, knowing that the God who feels their pain promises to sustain them. Since he understands their individual weaknesses, God will never allow them to suffer beyond what his grace enables them to endure. And we think of a passage of scripture comes to mind which kind of captures that truth that God won't allow us to suffer beyond what we're able to endure. Anybody know the one I'm talking about? Pop quiz. First, you know it. I'll help you. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Very good. 1 Corinthians 10.13. He will provide a way of escape so that we can bear up under the trial. All right. Let's not forget, and, and let's not forget Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. One of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. And let's, uh, let's turn there. Let's turn to Romans 8.
Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. So if you're a Christian, if you're a born-again Christian, this verse applies to you. God works all things together for your good. To you who are called, or the called, according to His purpose. The called out ones. If you're one of God's children, again, this verse applies to you. God promises to work out all of your circumstances for your ultimate good. I don't know. Again, besides verses that promise salvation from hell, I don't know if there's a more encouraging verse in the Bible than this one. Because you know what it tells me? I mean, all is all, right? All things, doesn't that mean all things? Right? There's no exceptions. So that tells me, even when I mess up, right? Even when I mess up, in the end, somehow, not that I'm not going to suffer the consequences for my sin and maybe cause pain for myself and others. But somehow, God and His wonderful love and goodness, in the end, He's going to use even my mistakes for my ultimate good since I'm one of His children. That, that, to me, that's just so incredibly encouraging. Um, pra praise God for that. What's the good? We need to answer that question. You all know the answer here. What's the good? Is it a trip to Disney World? Is it uh, a new, brand new truck? Like the one Pastor Ned has out there in the lot. Some of the men I know are a little envious of that. Um, what's, what's the good that God's talking about here? Well, we see it in verse 29, right? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. So the good is my growth in Christ's likeness. God is continuing to strengthen my faith, draw me nearer to Him, and make me more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good. And that should be exciting. You know, maybe, you know, I guess someone who's, you know, I can see where maybe my son, for example, would look at the verse and say, well, that, uh, that's not good. You know, or not that he I shouldn't pick on my son that way, but uh, you know what I mean. Uh, but for those of us who've struggled, and we understand that that is good, to, for God to be continuing to sanctify us, to change our hearts, and make us more like the Lord Jesus. Praise, praise Him for that. God is always working for our good. I love verse 31, um, Romans 8, same place. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Do you understand that God is for you? Again, I love that. That's so encouraging. God is for us if we are His child. He loves us. He's, uh, he's not playing games with us. You know, as we struggle, as we go through uh, various hardships, uh, God's not toying with us. He's for us. He loves us beyond what we can know or understand. Maybe in heaven we'll, we'll begin to understand the depths of His love for us. And He is using every circumstance in our lives to help us, to draw us near to Him, 
to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Again, what's the all things here? Again, it's not a new car. It's not a, another, it's not a vacation. I think, and, and many Bible commentators think, it's the all things here in this verse. It's whatever it takes to help conform us to the image of His Son. Uh, God is in charge of our circumstances. And He will do whatever it takes as He arranges things in our lives to put us at that point where we are seeking Him and we are running to Him and He is therefore through His Word able to remake us into the image of His Son. Again, so encouraging. And to wrap it up for tonight, again, we're talking about trauma. Right? We're talking about folks who've experienced trauma in their lives. Great stress. And of course, that's all relative. We've made this point. You know, what's traumatic for me may not be traumatic for you and vice versa. You know, we're all different. Uh, many of us have experienced traumatic, difficult, trying circumstances where we feel stress to our limit. And so these truths are so helpful. And again, let me put it, let me remind us of this larger framework of just having a biblical theology, a, a right understanding, a biblical understanding of suffering, where we know that as Christians we're not exempt from suffering. We should expect it. But we also need to understand that, you know, Again, that, that could almost sound like a cold truth that God promises that we'll suffer, but we need to remember that He suffered too. He suffered more than anyone, and He understands our suffering. He sympathizes. He empathizes. He feels our pain. He keeps, his, he keeps our tears in His bottle. He promises to help us, give us His grace. Beyond that, He controls our suffering. He's in control of all things. And uh, one of the things that he wants to do, one of the big things, and again next week we're going to elaborate on this point and talk about his many purposes in trials, but one of the big ones we just touched on, um, he wants to remake us into the image of his son. He's working all these things out for our good. And so, uh, so helpful to have this perspective uh, in life as we encounter various difficulties. Questions? Comments? You guys have been quiet tonight. We have a couple minutes. I was reading a, uh, uh, a piece about this uh, lady. She's a uh, psychiatrist. Uh-huh. And she's also an atheist. Uh-huh. And she says she thinks that we're crazy. Christians. No, she thinks she thinks Christians are crazy. Right. Yeah. And she wants nothing to do with, with God or anything else. Yeah. Well, that's not surprising. And Most yeah, psychiatrists. This, this individual, if someone has to go to her for counseling, 
The first thing she's going to do is, do you believe in God? Yes or no? If you say yes, then she will try to dismantle anything that you believe. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not surprising. Yeah, very sad. Interesting. It's ironic. You know, in the end, even many... I've been reading, you know, in the last several months, I've had occasion to read from even secular folks, psychologists, psychiatrists. I read this one guy, one of, one of their experts on PTSD, an unbeliever. Um, I read one of his big, thick, thick books on PTSD and several few months back. And uh, in the end, they, they have, and they'll even concede, they really have nothing to offer that is, you know... <laughs> guaranteed to help you know they, they try this they try that try this drug try that drug try this therapy try that therapy they have nothing to offer and yet yeah sad well they're they're blind anyone else questions comments okay all right well we've got one more one more next next week. We'll talk about knowing our all-wise God. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.